This is Control Structure, episode 117, for October 19th, 2016. This show has show notes. Visit thenexus.tv slash cs117 to see them. The opinions expressed on this program are not the opinions of anyone's employer, nor of that of the nexus.tv. They are solely the opinions of those who express them, just in case if you were a little retarded about that. And I am Andrew Bailey, your host, and with me today is another host, Stephen Orvis. Hi, Chris. And today, a special ex-host, Christopher Thompson. Hello. So, um, how have you been, Chris? I've been doing pretty good. Haven't been up too much. Yeah, like I hear, I hear uh, you have a kid back there somewhere, and like not many games. Yep, just battling into the adult life. Yeah, kind of sucks though. But you can, eh, but you can benefit. You can kind of do anything you want as long as you don't run out of money or time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So much better when you're a kid and your parents have unlimited money and your summer vacation and you have time. You just have to convince them that, hey, <laughs> you shouldn't buy uh-huh. food this month. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, have you been eating this month, Steve? Have I been eating this month? I have been eating this month. We just had pizza, even. Yes. So, um, it seems the, uh, the pizza place at one of the bottoms of the hill uh, is, you know, is has a pretty good deal with the buy one, get one free. On, on Tuesdays. Yes. Pick up on Tuesdays. Nice. So, um, meanwhile, I have been, uh, well, I guess I have been uh, walking around down to the T and taking the T to work. So, like, that's the light rail here in Pittsburgh. Okay. Yeah, it it only goes, like, from downtown down to the south of Pittsburgh. (laughs) Like, that's the only places that it goes. But, uh, yeah. So, yes, yeah, so it was, you know, we're recording the day before it actually releases, so it would have been Monday that uh, I wake up and it's raining outside. I'm like, okay, well, this should be clearing up pretty fast. So I pull up the uh, weather report and look at the radar, and we're, like, right on the uh, back end. Like, the edge is, like, almost here. So I'm like, okay, whatever. Take a shower, eat your breakfast, maybe grab an umbrella, and, like, it should be ending. So get outside, you know, it's still sprinkling, and then it starts pouring in a few places, and I'm like, this sucks. So I walk into the office, and I'm kind of, like, soaked. It looks like I've been holding a fire hose or something. Wow. And, uh, you know, but I didn't really worry about it. Nothing was broke. And the air inside the office is always dry. So, like, by noon, I was completely dry. So, uh, and then then my manager is like, dude, like, you should have called me or something. You know, I would have picked you up at the station. So, it's like, "Ah, that's all right. I'll, I'll take the hit. So, um, let's see. Last weekend was actually pretty warm. So I uh, took the bike down to the T and uh, rode around downtown a little bit along the rivers. So, and then, uh, yeah, then it was weekend before. It was just too cold. 
So, yeah, we're in that time of year where it's hot, cold, hot, cold. So, mm. uh, but, uh, yeah, fun times. And, uh, oh, yeah, coming up later this week, uh, I will be going to the Circleville Pumpkin Show back in Ohio. So that's basically a street fair that's pumpkin-themed. Is that the place where they, like, launch pumpkins on a launcher and, like, have a competition to see who can shoot you know, the furthest? You know, Pastor mentions that all the time, and I've never seen such a thing in person. Okay. I think he needs to go see a psychologist because he might be hallucinating. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's not that violent as far as I know, and I've been there, like, several times. Could be fun. But, uh, anyways, uh, speaking about fun, and since no one else on this network does podcasts anymore, uh, CitizenCon happened two weekends ago, during the cold one. Uh, Mr. Roberts showed off a lot of what has been happening with Star Citizen in the past year, and then gave an awesome demo of their procedural planet stuff. Like, this is amazing. You know, if, uh, have you ever looked into No Man's Sky? Yeah. And, like, uh, I I don't think that you said you actually got it, did you? I didn't get it. So, um, apparently it's just been a rabid disappointment after disappointment. Oh, yeah, it has. I've talked to a friend. He refused the game for a couple of months because of how bad the ending was. <laughs> wow, it must have been worse than Mass Effect 3. But, uh, anyways... He- he says Mass Effect 3 was the most beautifully written thing compared to this. Yeah, well, now that I think about it, um, No Man's Sky has barely written anything because it's like pretty much all procedural generation. So, whereas uh, Star Citizen has uh, a little bit more substance and crafting going on. You know, I thought Star Citizen was done being built some time ago. You know... You would have thought so, but, like, I've been kind of following it, and uh. they're, like, building the most sophisticated game engine ever, it seems like. I should download that game again. So, uh, yeah, you can actually, I think you can actually go around an entire Star Citizen, Star System in Star Citizen now. So, like, you can, uh, uh, like, spawn on a space station and, like, hop in your, uh, Hop in your little spaceship and like do warp jumps across places. Wow! And uh, like I remember going to a derelict space station at one time and like grabbing some files. So yeah. Huh. Um, I will. Yeah, I'll have to try the game again because last time I couldn't play because of my graphics card. So and but now for something a little bit closer and has a more solid release. The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim Special Edition. That comes out October 28th. If you have it on PC right now with all the DLC, you will get this for free. So... Mm, interesting. Yeah, so I'm not sure. How, did you get all the DLC for that one, Chris? I did not, no. Okay. Um, and you can connect to Steam to see what I'm missing. I think it's just the dragon one, though. So, um... The Dragonborn one, let's see, yeah, let's see, yeah, I think that was actually the better of the, uh, of the three. Oh, I did enjoy building a house and then going and kidnapping two children. <laughs> so, um, with all this said, uh, your games are getting repetitive, but I love you, Bethesda. So, 
Um, pretty much, you you can look forward to better textures and better uh, like better lighting effects and everything. Because from what I can tell, this uses the Fallout Four engine. So that right. should, yeah, that should be uh, a lot more shiny uh, in your very foggy and snowy northern lands. <laughs> so and uh, well, you uh, were speaking about since I was uh, talking about Skyrim there. Yeah, you remember some years ago we funded a Kickstarter for the Symphony. Yes. It's probably been, what, three, four years, maybe five? Something like that. Have you heard any updates on, besides the music sheets he keeps sending us when he plans on releasing it? (laughs) Uh, Nothing uh, as for a release date yet. Um, see, I remember one of these updates that he had, I think it was like sort of like a little, I want to, I don't want to say breath analyzer, but like maybe like a, uh, like a breath measurer or something. So like if he would blow into it, it would like make a flute sound louder or something. And Interesting. like, yeah. And like, he's, uh, done, like, a few other sort of, like, inspiration things, but that's really been, like, several months between. So you feel like yeah. he's not actually carrying through in the Kickstarter money, and he's just, uh, <laughs> gaming it? <laughs> well, I mean, the... What I would like to think is that, you know, since he sort of contracts out to, you know, like, actual game studios to make their soundtracks... I'm really hoping that he's just busy making all these soundtracks, like actually doing his job there. So, mm-hmm. uh, see, a Kickstarter was released March the thirteenth, twenty thirteen. At least so been three and a half years. Yeah. So, like, I actually remember reading through one of the, the uh, comments on one of these updates, and uh, I'm not sure if it was like something regarding the actual CDs that they would be sending out. And the guy, this one guy was kind of sad because, like, the the guy or maybe, like, the two people that he wanted to, like, give these to had already died or something. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was really sad. Wow. So. That, that, that is sad right there. So, yeah. Hopefully this is worth it. So. and I don't uh, even remember how much I paid for it. Uh, yeah. I think I was, like, at $33.00. For like three discs or so. Okay. Yeah. Now see, I view my pledge and it wants my password. <laughs> yeah. Um. See, it was maybe three or four months ago that I went through like most of the uh, services that I use and did the two-factor authentication. And, okay. And Kickstarter was one of them. <laughs> so, has Kickstarter released the money to him? I wonder, or have, are they still holding it back? Well. When you do a Kickstarter and, like, the campaign finishes successfully, you get the money right then. Okay. So he has the money? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's always a gamble. I mean, I think out of everything I've Kickstarted, I've only had one successful game that's nearing completion, and that's Planet Explorer. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, speaking of, uh, there's the Road Redemption one which um is nearing release like it was supposed to be this month but since they like live in louisiana 
Like there was <laughs> there was a lot of flooding going on there a few months ago. So they're like, hey, sorry, we need to like push this back a little bit more. <laughs> but uh, supposedly, wow. supposedly they just released the multiplayer. So, so like I haven't tried that out yet. But uh, yeah, that's coming along, and I I need to jump back into there too. Anyways, uh, let's get on to some news. So, more Internet of Things means more walled gardens. All of these devices are technically remote controllable, but they might not use a standard protocol to interface with your fancy speech-enabled phone. So you spend 11 hours trying to get your Wi-Fi kettle to talk to your phone in order to make some tea. (laughs) Totally worth it. Yeah, this is like the most British tech thing you could ever imagine. Your tea is done good, sir. So, um... Yeah, I'm I'm not sure if maybe people will gather around the, uh... Was it the HTTP coffee pot control protocol or something? <laughs> you know, like the one with HTTP 418, I'm not a teapot. <laughs> yeah, they, they thought that they were joking back there, but nowadays that's a likely, uh... Thing that might be implemented for real. <laughs> true. So, uh, anyways, uh, so remember TrueCrypt way back when? That would be the the uh, encryption software that apparently just up and ended the project that people are making it, but it's open source, and so uh, some other people picked it up and they made it into is it VeraCrypt? Yes, VeraCrypt. And, uh, let's see, I think we even had, like, a sort of series going on back there about the guy that was probably behind it. So, um, anyways, Veracrypt is, I guess, sort of the successor to TrueCrypt. And, uh, like, way back before TrueCrypt was discontinued, there was a security audit, uh, on TrueCrypt, which actually turned up not bad. But it seems that Veracrypt has uh, some little bit more uh, critical bugs, it seems like, um, which supposedly will be fixed pretty soon. So, like, it has, you know, things like, you know, bootloader vulnerabilities, like, uh, like not erasing the keystrokes and stuff. So, yeah, that might be a little important before you hand it off to another operating system. So... Now for something uh, a little bit weird. I, we don't really talk about uh, you know like actual physical bus interfaces, but OpenCAPI is a new data bus that allows a more standard interface between CPUs and other internal accelerators, devices, and processors. Uh, it's short for Open Coherent Accelerator Processor Interface. So this is kind of like PCI Express, but on steroids. So... Uh, like I think PCI Express 3.0 uh, has like an 8 gigabyte per second uh, lane rate like you know like for each pin uh, like each data pin has you know that much capacity uh, but for OpenCAPI that's like 25 gigabits or like gigabytes or something um, so this is like noticeably faster but 
like this uh, little introduction here doesn't exactly say, you know, like a device will have like eight of these or 16 of these or whatever. Um, this is like more of an announcement of sort of an alliance of like companies coming together to make this. Um, so, you know, it appears to be more for servers than for desktops, which is kind of sad. But, uh, you know, it'll just be like one of those exotic interfaces that you might see on, say, like an IBM mainframe or something. Because IBM is a part of this with AMD and NVIDIA and Zilinx, Google and HP Enterprises. So, like, a lot of important people except Intel. So, um... Even with that, I think that this will be a, you know, sort of prevalent uh, connection standard. Okay. So, uh, did anyone else have comments on this? Uh, it seems, I think in the article I did mention some uh, about the trend now we have that it lots can of Can you devices. speak into the Microsoft? Yes, I can speak into the Microsoft. I was talking about the trend now you were starting to see that with IoT, you have lots of different devices to connect to. So suddenly your processor might have to be talking to lots of different things, maybe other processors and other devices and such. So that's uh, having a fast bus can be important for that. So you have all of these little weak computers talking to this one big giant thing that has like dedicated hardware for processing things. Wait, that was kind of uh, vague. Kind of. It's okay. Uh, computing thrives on vagueness and abstractions. Yes, things that uh, Pennsylvania Chris hates. Yes. Not 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 Tom Chris. He he's okay, right, Chris? Yep, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, enough about this hardware stuff. Well, I think we could talk about. Oh, what what do you guys have thought on the election? A total nightmare. And you, Steve? Uh, it's not so good for the choices, I'd say. I've heard someone say this, and I think this is the best conclusion I can make of it all, is you're not really voting for the candidate, but you're voting for the uh, judges that the candidate is likely to uh, appoint. So that's uh, a consideration. You're, you're voting for people to vote someone else. Correct. As you referenced hmm. in the, the fringe at some point in time, maybe not the fringe pre-show fringe... Yeah, the, uh, it's, uh, the fringe fringe. Democracy. It's the Republic. <laughs> so, you know. The fringe fringe. Yeah. So, yeah, speaking about IoT and its inherent, you know, insecurities, um, yeah, like all these uh, voting machines are kind of ripe targets for that. Correct. So, I, I saw this on the TV today, and they're saying electronic voting machines are outdated most of them are more than 10 years old and i was thinking you know we only have an election every four years that means these voting machines only get used twice aside from local votes yeah well yeah like twice a year yeah well like twice twice in its lifetime (laughs) so um yeah these these things tend to be kind of exotic customized machines uh-huh. So, um... Majority of the world still likes to use paper. Yeah. That's... I, you know, back in my day, we had hanging chads! <laughs> that's, that's the problem, is the software is... You'd have consistency there, and it's everyone's homebrew solution. If 
you made a system based on Linux. So, like, say the Turkey, they made their custom super security military Linux. Base it on something like that that's supposed to be really secure. And then make an open source software that runs the voting, add in the concept of Ursacon PA. We don't have an audit trail, which we don't. We They vote, and I even heard of a story from a man from my church. He said he voted one way, and when in the summary screen, it showed something totally different. And he went back and changed it, and it was like, wouldn't take it. And so he had the, he called people up, and they came and removed the machine. Anyways, point is, we don't have the audit trail. But if they, someone, collaboratively, if we made open source voting software, and it became like a standard, then at least people would have a chance to poke with the code and look at it, find bugs, and uh, mm-hmm. maybe we could get standardized. Yeah. And like, like uh, you know, there's going to be that one person that's debugging in production. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just flip this bit. No one will notice. <laughs> Let's see what this does. Whoops. <laughs> and now the White House is burning. <laughs> I, I heard of a system once that was kind of neat. It was, there. I think it was more of a proposal rather than something they'd actually done. But somehow they were going to use these codes that look kind of like one of those uh, 2D barcodes, I think is what they're called. Where they had like the dots and things more so kind of like what your cell phone would scan. Uh, QR that? code. QR code. There you go. That's what it is. It looks kind of like a QR code, but it would print two of them. And when you put them together, it was readable data, but separate it wasn't. And somehow the idea was then you'd be given that. And there was no way for them to trace back who it was that voted but then you could, if they needed a recount or something, you could bring your your slip back, and they could match it up somehow, and then verify it. Mm. And like with a complete piece, they could they could get the data back. It was an interesting concept. So interesting. So I know like a handful of states, like they don't have voting machines everywhere. They just send out paper ballots to everyone in the mail. So like I kind of imagine that would kind of be like the. Uh, like the tests back in grade school where like you fill in the little bubble on the sheet <laughs> and then and then well, like you there's, don't have to erase anything. Yeah, and then there's like an OCR machine that goes triple You know, you know, if if they're con- so concerned about people hacking it, I mean you're sending it out in the mail, some guy could hijack the post office. It could, but it's gonna be more limited quantities at that point in time. As it was mentioned in the article uh, there were machines in Virginia that apparently had the Wi-Fi turned on and was unsecured. So apparently people could just, like, log in and do stuff. When you have something like that, I can switch the ballots for, like, everyone in the machine, which could be hundreds of people, in one second, opposed to if I'm intercepting in the mail, it's going to actually take me time to mess with the hundreds of people's ballots. Correct. Plus, true. You know, plus the fact that, you know, not only are you doing election fraud, you're also stealing the mail, which is like a <laughs> which is a very federal offense. Yeah. And people would be asking, where's my ballot? Uh-huh. Yeah. It's like, oh, lo and behold, like your ballot came back with your signature on it, but that doesn't exactly look like your signature. That's your neighbor's. It looks like everybody else's signature. Yeah. <laughs> One interesting attack that they mentioned there was you didn't necessarily have to change the votes to influence that. If they can disrupt the machines so they won't work or make them slow or something, so you could influence elections that way. 
because obviously if there is an area that you're pretty sure it's not going to vote for you, you just kind of make sure their machines don't vote for you, and voila. Hmm. So, I, I think we should just do, like, American Idol with, like, dial this number, <laughs> cast your vote. Yeah. Isn't it ironic? We can we have uh, systems that do already work for voting, and yet we can't figure out ours in the government. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Hey, that would that would be dial up voting. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, got a question. How would you like to grow your own plane? Grow my own plane. So uh, that's right. Grow a plane because the BEA system and the University of Glasgow foresee the time when new aircraft will be designed and chemically grown in a matter of weeks. Yeah, when when you were first saying that, it's like I know things that grow on planes. <laughs> we're not talking about the fungus that keeps coming we're, back. We're, we're we're doing that in the reverse. We're like actually growing aircraft. So it, mm-hmm. it mentioned the article that uh, this is in some way related to three D printing. Uh, in some way, I'm not sure how they're arranging the things so they grow. But uh, it it sounds sounds interesting. The whole three mm. D printing and everything is uh, a lot of possibilities to it. I'm seeing. Yeah, like you even have one. I do. I have a three D printer, and oh, I even broke, I even broke it like right before I came. So Aww. my my glass on the bed. I've I've had this glass for a while, so I understand if it breaks because it only cost a couple of dollars. Anyways, last print job. I started taking the pieces off, and like this fleck of flake of gra- glass was on the bottom of one of the prints, which is like it didn't crack the glass. Just imagine a piece of glass, not all the way through the glass, just like a flake of it just pulled right up off the glass. It's really strange, like a whole chip. And then I was taking another piece off, and it did it with another piece. So I don't know if that glass just finally got overstressed enough, and it just decided, okay, I'm done with this whole heat me up and glue stuff to me, then rip stuff off me thing. I've had it. I'm done. So, yes, uh, went to uh, Lowe's on the way down here and picked up a new piece of glass. So back back in business, hopefully. But, yeah, 3D or not, 3D printed grown planes. So this, uh, the whole quad chopper thing and all that, this uh, can make that pretty fun. It was talking about designing designing them quickly and being able to put them put them in production really fast that could be very useful and then we were watching the uh the little youtube video and it's saying that you know it's totally green and stuff so i mean sure you're dropping bombs and destroying people and dropping, dropping nukes but it's a green airplane it yes. did not hurt the environment to be made <laughs> yep yep so here's another interesting thing uh it's, one of the things with the 3D printing and all that that I remember reading a long time back. I think we talked about it on the podcast. It could be just something I read. I think it was something I just read. Uh, there was a person way back when, this is before I had a printer, he was had designed a 3D printed gun and he was talking how this could change gun laws and change things because yeah. everyone could have a gun. Anyone that wants a gun could have a gun. Well, with this, if like these chemically grown stations become a thing... Everyone that wants their war helicopter could have a war helicopter, an <laughs> army of army of whatevers hey. you can grow out of this device. 
You could grow your own car. You could. That yeah. there's there's like all kinds of stuff you could do with this. This is really neat because it it seems like they can just form the circuitry right there in place. So you can design your own circuits and just like grow them. That would be really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh I could see a Transformer movie take coming out of this. <laughs> could be. Yeah, transform from a blob to something marginally useful. The video was pretty funny. Uh, Andrew and I watched it together, and they just show like a, like this this black goo, and just suddenly whoosh, it springs in the shape of the airplane. Or no, no, like splashes and swirls. Yeah, splashes and swirls, you're right, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we were laughing. We were pretty sure it doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Uh. Oh. How about the LHC? The what now? The LHC, the uh, Large Hamster Collider. Uh, I hear it's doing pretty well. Up to 278,000 hamsters. <laughs> Wait, that's not right. Uh, it's a video I'll show you later. Okay, I, I need to see that. Sounds really funny. <laughs> you mean he hasn't seen the video? It, he... He might have, but it's it's good to watch again anyways. I am blessed okay. with a terrible memory so that I can read books again, I can watch videos again, and I get just as much enjoyment out of them as the first time. <laughs> mm. But if you are bored, you can take a virtual tour of the command center at the Large Hadron Collider's home site. Yeah, in fact, I think you can... Uh... Tour a lot of the LHC as well. When I tried that, I could, I was stuck at only one spot. I couldn't figure out how to walk down it. You know, it'd be kind of nice if they stuck a camera in there, like, and then shot it around. <laughs> and this is the camera when it exploded. <laughs> Notice the things that are flying by the side and the stars. Uh. Okay, I'm looking around the storage room. How exciting. Yay. So, like, I remember actually at one point, like, they actually had a, some of it that was apart. Like, they were doing repairs, and you could see, like, all these wires and stuff going around. Yeah, it was pretty neat. So, this is essentially like Google Street View, but inside buildings. Yeah. It, interesting. Hmm. So, have you ever done a Hello World? Yes, many, too many, and um, I don't think that it's real programming. Uh, About the time when I actually was old enough, or maybe not old enough, when I actually started programming in seriousness, I did a couple Hello Worlds, but very soon it became obvious that the culture of programming was kind of against those examples. Mm. Well... Hello World has its own Wikipedia page. You know, it doesn't surprise me. I, I understand. Yeah, because we don't have our own Wikipedia page. You, you saying for the podcast we should have our own? <laughs> yeah, why not? Why not? <laughs> Start one. It's a community editing based. All you need is a reference, and apparently it works. And if you make a web- website about our podcast... That references the Wikipedia website as a source of information and reference Wikipedia back. We can fulfill the XKCD comic. Yes. It uh, will be perfect. Uh, 
Oh, Steven, you seem to be having fun with this list I posted. Yes, way too much. Suspiciously. Suspiciously way too much. Possibly. Uh, so let's go find the list and find some of the good ones. So 101 well, what, ways... What is this list for all of our listeners? Apparently, it's 101 ways to tell if your software project is doomed. Number one, management has renamed its waterfall process to Agile Waterfall. At work, we actually have a name for this. It's called Waterjile. <laughs> we have mentioned that quite a few times. Uh, let's find some good ones here. One of my favorite is your car has been towed from the office parking lot as it thought was thought abandoned. <laughs> so, I guess I have to do one. Um, let's see. Uh, which one was it? Uh, you know exactly how many compile warnings will cause an out-of-memory exception in your IDE. <laughs> how about uh, progress is now measured by the number of fixed bugs and not completed features. <laughs> Speaking hmm. of, every bug is prioritized as critical, and every feature is prioritized as trivial. <laughs> You're friends uh, with the janitor. Does. Your project manager has also been spotted consulting a new Ouija board. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's see. One of them was... Uh, your manager can be replaced by an email forwarding script. This, that that somehow also spends his lunch hour crying in his car. Uh, every, uh, every bug is prioritized as critical. And yes, that does happen. Yes, yes. Too many times. Unfortunately. So concerned about the stuff that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, like, what? what is their problem? I know, I mean, it's... it's just that you can't use the entire service, you can send half a request. <laughs> Why would you want the whole thing? <laughs> Your team mm. believes ORM is a fad. So you do not understand the acronyms DRY, YAGNI, or KISS, but you understand WTF, PHB, and FUBAR. And apparently not IDE, because this list has used it twice and you have no idea what it's talking about. <laughs> Oh. Mm. I think one of my favorite is daily you consider breaking your fingers for the short term <laughs> stability check. <laughs> that one was really good. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's it's pretty good. Yeah. Here's mm. here's another one. Management cannot understand why anyone needs more than one, a single monitor. But hey, you're lucky to have a computer because you don't have your own computer. And it's not paired programming. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Mm. I don't live anywhere near this hell. Maybe out of ignorance. I have no idea. <laughs> mm. But, you know, sometimes I do feel my manager is just an email forwarding script. <laughs> you know, you know it's like, please stay over there, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so... Not not this Steve. I think I think we've gone over this in the previous podcast before. So the, the happy happy Steve. Yes, the cheerful morning Steve. Please go mm -hmm. away because I'm obviously not the happy Steve. <laughs> so and like he always seems to update us on like all the drama that happens after a client call. 
Like, you know, I wasn't there. You know, I don't need a review. I don't watch soap operas. I do not watch soap operas. In fact, I don't even watch TV. I just have Steve. <laughs> hmm. So. So, do either one of you guys know where the god object is? I'm talking about idols. I've heard tell of certain myths, but I have never encountered one myself. So apparently the program, which I'll not mention that my uh, company uses, produces... To be fair, they bought it from someone else, so maybe it's not all from that. It makes heavy use of this pattern. <laughs> the god object does too much or knows too much. Or both. It is yeah. an anti-pattern. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it just so happens that, you know, I've experienced this where I'm just, you know, programming along. It's like, oh, I'll just, like, make a new function here, spin it out. And it's like, okay, just, like, spit all the variables into the class and everything. I'm like, okay, like, these things don't exactly go together in the same place. Nope. So, um, yeah. When that happens, you have a god object. So, um... It's usually formed because of exactly that. Just need to add one more thing. That's right. One more thing. Forget about single responsibility. Who needs that anyways? (laughs) Yeah, and... (laughs) And, uh, also be careful you do not fall into the big big ball of mud, the bowl of spaghetti, or whatever complicated analogy you can come up with. Spaghetti code? Yes, biscotti code. Mm. Well, my city just fixed a biscotti junction not too long ago. Yeah, they they seem to happen in cities that are bigger than Pittsburgh. Yeah, here you know we do have interstates, but they are few and far between because there's like hills and mountains and stuff everywhere, and we have mm. to make tunnels through mountains in order to get places. Hmm. So, which turns out is not exactly a problem because, like, there's coal mines. At least there used to be coal mines around here. So we have people who know how to make tunnels. That's good. So, anyways, um, let's go to some appreciate. Uh, I would like to appreciate content security policy. Uh, This is an HTTP header that, uh, you know attaches itself to your uh, web requests and you can configure it to uh, essentially eliminate some XSS attacks or cross-site scripting. So, you know, what it essentially does is it splits up all of the assets in your page, your scripts, your images, uh, uh, style sheets, uh, any, uh, was it, plugins and stuff. Uh, it splits those up into certain categories, and you can specify, okay, this domain can load these things, and like split it up like that. Interesting. Um, so, in if someone somehow manages to slip in like some JavaScript that will like steal your credit cards or something, um, if the user happens to be happens to have a browser that implements uh, cr- uh, this content security policy. Um, it'll pick up on this header and deny that JavaScript from actually executing. Hmm. So, like, there's a lot of uh, hashes and stuff that you can use, or you can just, you know, say, 
okay, this website or this content delivery network can serve up these things, which is uh, pretty cool. And uh, Google has uh, released a evaluator to check your uh, headers. So, um, like, I found this and I sort of knew what it was, but I had not really optimized it. So mm. I went ahead and did that, and uh, looks like I'm pretty good. Nice. So, uh, had, had your uh, website ever been hacked yet? It has not. Um, but it was like down for about a month because, uh, uh, I had, you know, pretty much reformatted it and encrypted the hard drives and everything. So, yeah, I do remember you mentioning that in a podcast and nobody seemed to have noticed. Yeah. We have listeners. We do. Hey, we even have them on a show. Yes. We appreciate (laughs) you coming to the show and, and, and even encouraging us that you listen. Yes. So, um, it seems like you know all about that. Uh, so yeah, it was totally down for a month and no one seemed to care. (laughs) So, um, it seems that the only person who cares is me because I get frustrated that I don't post enough to it, which Mm -hmm. makes me even more frustrated and post even less to it. (laughs) Uh, You know, I, I still do use your site to show off a spruce. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's, it's always every now and then a good chuckle around the office. Just load it up and run through a few. Yeah, you always get something new. Yeah, I, I like the times when it's totally profound. Like, it doesn't really make sense, but I'm like, okay, I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, know, it, you should try to sell it to a fortune cookie maker. Here you go. <laughs> These are the best fortune cookies. It'd be better than a lot of the current ones I've been getting lately. Yeah, with all the English going around. Yeah. But, um, (laughs) see. Yeah, I'm not not exactly sure if I want the blog to be something else. I mean, it is what it is, I guess. So, I just... Well, it has been a great, uh, sandbox for you. Yeah. Yeah, I finally got Star Citizen to download. You know, I like that you have to have an account with them to actually download it. Yeah, that that always strikes me as weird. Like, there's no... Uh, like, of course, you have to log into the website to, like, download the downloader. Uh-huh. And then you have to log into the downloader to actually get it. But there's no remember me on the downloader, which always mm-hmm. annoys the crap out of me. Yep. I have one flyable ship. Uh, as mm-hmm. do I. I think it's the 300 I because I uh, donated like 60 bucks way back when. So okay, I think I, I think I was always the minimalist. So except uh, for Planet Explorer, I actually donated a hundred. Yeah, you you always seem to be into those sandbox type games. I am. So yeah, the the one thing uh, speaking about sandbox games and stuff, you know, like. Fallout 4, you know, playing through it, you know, I could not help but contrast it with The Witcher 3, which seemed to have a lot more depth in it. Like, the uh, the side quests actually had quite a bit of meat into them. They actually had, some of them actually had their own, like, sequences and stuff. 
And I kind of loved how the main quest, you know, sort of led you into them. Like, you mm. know, you suddenly you go over here because, oh, you need to meet up with your friend. And, oh, the king died. And, like, you're there at his wake. And that starts off a whole new quest line. But then you realize, oh, the thing I wanted is not here. So your main quest wants you to go somewhere else. But this other quest is really interesting. And you really want to figure out who the next king is. I do agree. So, uh, you know, whereas, you know, I kind of feel what Yahtzee is saying about how, like, all of Bethesda's games are, you know, kind of like, okay, here's your three options, but it kind of feels like you picked the wrong one. So, um, but yeah, and I, at some point, I just decided that, uh, like, Bethesda's games are just kind of repetitive now. So I've noticed most games seem to be repetitive now. So I guess we found the good ideas and are killing them. So <sighs> anyways, that's kind of why I've been just going back to indie games. Yeah, I need to start uh, back on those. So like, especially this one indie game called Diablo Two, which uh, I've been. Uh, dabbling into on my uh, my old machine here. So, uh, meanwhile, uh, if you would like to contact us uh, or send us any feedback or something, uh, we can even read it on the air or on the show or whatever. Because why did I say on the air? Because this is not radio. Anyways, if you would like to send us <laughs> feedback, you can send it to us on the nexus.tv. In fact, there is a link beneath our pretty faces. And do not forget that today is International Backup Awareness Day, so back up all your games and all your game saves. Because. Not your databases. And save your game every 30 seconds because you never know when it's going to crash. Yes. Uh, save your IDE every 30 seconds because you don't know when it'll go be crashing. Mm, true. From all those out of memory errors. Ah, <laughs> uh, so. Uh, as mentioned, I will be uh, having fun at a street fair, and uh, yeah, and probably using the tea some more. How about you, Steve? Well, it's uh, muzzleloader season for deer, so I'm planning on using some flint, which I collected from Ohio last weekend, in my gun this weekend, to maybe go out and try to shoot a deer. So we shall see how that happens. Anything fun with you, Chris? <sighs> no, I think my wife wants to go to the zoo and and go to a pumpkin patch. Pumpkin patch. Yeah, in other words. Oh, so- speaking of which, totally random. I am an Uber driver, and I am completely against the self-driving Uber cars. That's just because they're gonna put you out of a uh, out of a job. Well, I mean, they're over here in Pittsburgh, so. I'm not sure how long it would take for a self-driving Uber to make it to over to where you are. I wouldn't imagine much longer. So what if we use a Uber car to drive out to where he's at? Wouldn't it stay out there then and do its thing? I don't know. But, uh, yeah. I, I recall you mentioning that a few weeks ago, so... Uh, yeah. Pe- people have been uh, wondering, you know, it's like, Oh, have you seen these things? 
It's like, well, I remember seeing one of them uh, when I was out riding my bike once. Did um, you get hit by it? <laughs> Uh, I was I was on a dedicated bike trail at the time, and it was on the road, so like there was like no conflict. But uh, yeah, I was just like riding along, and I see like what almost what I imagine a Google Street View car looking like because it had this huge thing on the roof with like a whole bunch of cameras. So like I thought it's like oh is this like Street View or something? Smile. And then, then I saw, like, Uber on the side. I'm like, Uber? Okay, that's weird. <laughs> and then I read about it, like, a few months later. Then I'm like, oh, that's what that thing was. So. Mm. But, uh, uh... Yeah, Uber is extremely profitable. I mean, Kentucky Derby weekend alone <clears throat> for 36 hours that I drove... I netted $700. I know that... Hello? Hello. Oh. I thought, I thought my screen froze for a moment. We didn't freeze, so... Anywho's, so... Yeah, that... Alright, we got interference here. So. Well, I guess that seems to be about as good a time as any to uh, say goodbye. So, have a good one. You too. You too.